I have the honor of introducing one of my favorite people in the world and certainly one of my favorite preachers in the world, Brenda Salter McNeil. Uh, we are, I, I love this woman. I love this woman. She's going to finish up a message that she started three months ago. You guys thought I was slow. Uh, we, we, the thing is this, what, what we believe is that, because it's right in the Bible, is that when you signed up for the kingdom, uh, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you now become part of a new humanity that, that, that Jesus died for and that God is creating in this world. It's, it's the kingdom humanity. And in that new humanity, this new race that God is, is, is growing like a mustard seed, all of the distinctions that the world so often places so much emphasis on are totally done away with. In this new humanity, uh, all the walls that fallen humanity has set up are, are, are to be torn down. And so in this new humanity, uh, gender, gender distinctions and uh, social and economic and political and nationalistic and racial distinctions are all rendered obsolete. They're rendered insignificant. And, and, and so God wants to manifest this new humanity. This is what the church is to be. And if Jesus died for it, then we have to put it on the front burner. Amen? And so we have had part of our vision statement to be manifesting that aspect and every aspect of the kingdom. And to do that, which is way easier said than done, we've been partnering with Brenda Salter-McNeil, uh, who is a specialist in this area. By the way, she and her friend uh, 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 Rick Richardson have uh, written this book. It just came out called The Heart of Racial Justice, How Soul Change Leads to Social Change. And um, I read this book last week, and I, I read a lot of books on, on reconciliation. I don't know of any that are as accessible, as readable, and yet that, that, that just pull it all together like this book. I mean, they got the warfare motif in there. Uh, the, the, the emphasis on how the church is called to do this, and we rely on government too much to do what the church is supposed to be doing. Amen? And uh, it, so I really strongly recommend that, that you check out this book. Uh, Brendo, at the, after the service, will be out in the gathering area, and uh, copies of the book will be on sale. And if you want, uh, she'll be signing that and things of that sort. So I encourage you to check that out. But without further ado, let me, uh, let's give a warm Woodland Hills welcome to Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. Love you, sister. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. for the presence of God to show up in God's church. I want that more than I think I want my life itself. Right now, I feel absolutely trembling up here because I want God's presence so much. I want God's church to be the church. And we're not going to be able to do that unless we make that song our prayer. So if you mean that, I wonder if you'd stand to your feet, only if you mean it. And I wonder if you'll sing it from your heart. Speak. Of the living 
fresh on us. for the presence and the power of God. That's how the walls of Jericho came down. Greg, they praised them down. And so I honor you for your work. And I honor you for your ministry. Let the Levites rise in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. As you guys were sitting down, I noticed these bottles of water and I thought about how hard you work to serve us. And oftentimes we treat preachers like they're special. But I honor you, woman of God. And just like Jesus gave water to the disciples, I honor you and I ask you, refresh yourselves because you've ministered to the people of God. Worship the Lord for them, would you please? Because they've ministered to us. And I honor you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now we're having church. This is what church looks like. Thank you, Jesus. While you're still standing, I'm going to do something that I've never done before, and I keep finding new things to do, I tell you. But at my church, I go to Evangel Assembly of God, where my pastor is Ray Allen Berryhill, and he's a good man of God. And he has been encouraging us to bring our Bibles to church, and he has written an affirmation that we say every Sunday in our church. And the reason he's done so, and let me say this to you, I, even I, Miss Little Preacher Brenda, I rarely travel with my Bible. It's too much to carry. It makes my briefcase heavy. 
Chevy, and I know they got one in the hotel. But I tell you something, God is getting on my case about my lack of honor of the word of God. The Lord is beginning to deal with me pretty heavily about not taking for granted the power of the word of God. I want you to know that there are places around the world that don't have the privilege of having the word of God freely accessible to them. I have a friend, and he ministers in Armenia. And let me tell you what they call the Bible in Armenia. They call it the literal way they speak of it. It's not Bible. They call it the breath of God. Oh, yeah, that ought to make us pause. And so, and instead of saying to each other, do you have your Bible? Do you know what they say? Do you have the breath of God? Do you, does anybody have the breath of God? Because they know that all scripture is God breathed. God breathed. It's inspired. And if we open it up, God breathes on us. So what we just prayed for, it doesn't happen magically. It doesn't happen automatically. It happens when we open the word of God and God breathes on us. We just said, spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Now let's let him breathe on us. Amen. And so this is what we say every Sunday at Evangel Assembly of God. And if you're here and have your Bible, if you have the breath of God, and I had to borrow Shelley's, so thank God that the woman of God brought a Bible to church. Amen. Praise the Lord, because God's taken us back, church, to the things that really matter to us we've gotten pretty fancy in the new day amen but I think God's gonna resurrect some of the old stuff we used to do amen so if you've got your Bibles I want you to lift them in the air like you just don't care and I want you to repeat after me Shelly you can come hold your own Bible if you want (laughs) come on and stand with me and this is what the affirmation says this is Shelly Boyd and I love her here we go grab your Bible ready this is my Bible Oh, come on now. This is my Bible. If you don't have it, say it by faith. This is my Bible. God's holy word. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. It shows me where I am and it shows me which way to go. I'm about to receive the immutable, the indisputable, the incorruptible, the indestructible word of God. I want to be changed. I need to be changed. And I'm going to be changed in Jesus' name. I will never be the same again. Now shake your heads and shake your Bibles and say, never, never, never. Never, never, never. Because the word of God abides in me. Amen. 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 Why you continue to stand because the word of God is the breath of God and Greg's got a word. Hallelujah. I, I just want to affirm that word. Um, ask Norm. Uh, Norm, where are you? What were we talking about three days ago? I, we, we, we have just, it, it's just, we were talking with Janice and talking about the church and where we're going, whatever. And, and Norm had a word and something that's been percolating in me. And that is that something is lost we have decided because i never bring my bible so don't feel guilty if you didn't bring your bible i never bring it why because we put it on the the screen and there's something lost about not not uh holding the physicality of the word and and uh and so next week i was planning on saying starting to encourage people to start bringing their bible and we're going to start weaning ourselves from our addiction to that technology so And I, I didn't tell Brenda this, uh, so, so th- th- that's a word. So starting next week, start bringing your Bibles, and we're going to start weaning ourselves from the technology. Amen. Amen. How cool is God? How cool is God? I'm telling you, I had no idea. It wasn't until this morning that I sensed I was supposed to do that affirmation about the Word of God. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God just because I want us to learn as the people of God to honor when God's talking to us. God has spoken, and nothing I have to say improves on what God has already said. Hear the Word of the Lord. I'm reading in John chapter 4, and it says this. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as all, did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Later on in the text, the disciples return, and this is where we pick up. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. This is the word of the Lord, and we're thankful the breath of God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As Greg has already told you, three months ago, I did something that I've never done before. I keep doing new stuff at Woodland Hills Church. This must be an innovative place where God gets to be free. Hey, glory. Amen. Well, three months ago, I started a series called The River of Life, Crossing Cultures and Building Bridges, because I believe with all my heart that you are called to be the bridge-building church. And so we started this series, and since then we have developed a ministry called The Bridge Crew, and I ask your prayers for The Bridge Crew. Some of them I'm certain are in the service this morning. They've been helping me to get surveys through the church to find out where we are regarding reconciliation and where we need to go because we don't want to fix what ain't broken, amen. We want to target our attention to where God says we need to be more effective. And so The Bridge Crew has been helping us do that. I ask your prayers for them, and, and for me as we move forward in this ministry together but I raised some points out of John chapter 4 and got through half of them and promised I'd come back in February to finish it up so just to give you a review of what we've said thus far would you please look back with me to November as we recapture what we said at that time amen the first principle I see in this text is what I say what I'd call a divine mandate Reconciliation requires a divine mandate from God. Look at verse 4. The Bible says that Jesus had, somebody says had, yeah. had to go through Samaria. So for those of us who want to cross cultures and build bridges, it doesn't even begin with us. It begins with God. It begins with God putting a half to in our hearts. Amen. I wish I had help tonight. It begins with God saying, my son, my daughter, I want you to go here. I want you to befriend this person. I want you to do this. And something in you is so committed to the call of God, to the discipleship of following after God, that you do what your neighbors don't have to do. That your family members say, don't join that church. And something in you feels like you have to, because even though they don't, you do, because you hear a voice in the inside of you saying, you belong to me you gave me your life you said yes Lord and I believed you principle number one I feel like preaching I gotta hold it in <laughs> principle number one I believe that Jesus demonstrates that real reconcilers people who want to cross cultures people who want to build bridges people who want to see the kingdom of God come are people who know that this begins with a calling from God. The second thing I notice in this text is that reconciliation requires a real need for people who are different than us. Jesus sat down by the well and it was 12 o'clock noon. It's hot. He has walked a long distance. So when he sat down by that well, 
I want to submit to you that he wasn't just starting a conversation with that woman when she came to the well. He was really thirsty and he really needed a drink. Reconciliation, I think, requires recognizing a need for people who we normally don't interact with. When I travel the country and talk about this, I hear people say things to me like, how can we get more, and you fill in the blank, black people, Latino people, Asian people, Hmong people, Vietnamese people, how can we get more Filipinos, how can we get more, you name who we want, but how can we get more Native Americans to come to our church, to join our group, and, and I'll say to them, so why do you need them? And almost no one has an answer to that question. And I want you to know something, my brothers and my sisters, people know when they're nice. They know when they're needed and they know when, they're, when, when it's just nice. Most people want reconciliation because it would be nice. Jesus says you need reconciliation because it's necessary. Amen. Amen. Not because it would be nice, not because it would look right, not because it would just be neat, but because it's necessary. You are dying of thirst and you don't know it. And there's somebody who doesn't look like you, who doesn't speak your language, and they got a bucket. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The third thing I notice in this text is that reconciliation requires intentional interaction between diverse people. Jesus sits down by a well in Samaria. Now that's interesting. And I want you to know that if we want to have reconciliation take place, we may need to think more intentionally about where we need to plop ourselves. Amen. Yes. Where do we need to sit down? Yes, most people say, how can we get more people to come to us? And I think Jesus is saying, how can I get more of you to go to them? Where's Samaria? Where's a well around you? There are certain places that if you want to meet certain people, if you sat there long enough, you'd meet them. Amen. Lights, amen. It's just the truth. <laughs> you say you want to meet Latino people? Well, there are places where Latino people are. And if you sat there long enough, I declare you'll meet somebody. <laughs> the fourth one is that reconciliation requires risk-taking. So when we go out with the best of intentions and sit down by the well and join that organization or knock on that door and people question our motives and, and misunderstand why we're there, I just want you to know that that's part of the risk of reconciliation. Sometimes it just hurts. And if we're the kind of people that when people don't clap and love us and applaud our efforts, we take our dolls or our G.I. Joes and go home, you won't make it in the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus had to hear her question him. Jesus had to know this could work, it may not work. And I want you to know that that's the same thing true for us. And so here we find ourselves in the risky place of following Jesus. Here we find ourselves in the risky place of preaching the whole gospel. The whole gospel of the, of the good news is that we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to each other. And it's that complete message that is the message of the cross. And that's the message that Jesus took to that woman at the well. I tell you, so many of us have heard it preached and all we've heard it preached from is the vertical reality that that day that woman came to know God and she did but that's not all that happened in that text vertical reconciliation happened but horizontal reconciliation happened because wherever Jesus showed up he brought the cross and wherever we show up we're called to bring the whole gospel the cross and so the fifth principle for those of us who want to be bearers of the cross the good news of the gospel is this Reconciliation requires, ready, countercultural social action. I wish I could find an easier way to say that. I'm going to work on a way to get that more concise. But what I mean by that is this. 
In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, inspired by God, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to this world, how it thinks and how it behaves, how it values itself, but you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't follow the stream. Don't go with the flow. You'll be countercultural. You'll be agents of another, of another reality. You'll be kingdom people in this world. Amen. And so Jesus models reconciliation for us by being a kingdom person who goes into a situation where he's not supposed to go. Socially, he is breaking every single rule. Now, the reason he had to leave Judea and come through Samaria was because he was already in trouble there. And he's not winding friends while he's sitting here at this well with this woman. Culturally, he's breaking every rule in the book. Socially, he's breaking every rule in the book. Politically, he's breaking every rule in the book. Religiously, the Pharisees are going to hang him up by his toes. Because nothing that Jesus is doing right now is socially appropriate. He's a rabbi. Religiously, he's not supposed to be having a conversation with the woman. The rules of the game of that social day was that rabbis did not teach women the law. Fathers were forbidden to teach their daughters the Torah. And so that's why Paul later in, in, in Scripture says if women want to learn something, they learn from their husbands at home. Jesus is breaking every rabbinic rule by sitting at this well having this conversation with this woman. He's breaking every social and cultural norm because she's right. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. It was culturally inappropriate. No self-respecting Jew was caught dead in Samaria or with Samaritans. I'm telling you, the, the, the chasm between these cultures was so great that Jesus is shooting himself in the foot if he wants to get popular. And so he's breaking cultural norms. He's breaking social norms. And I think this rule shows us as we watch Jesus walk into this relationship and, and bring the kingdom of God into this woman's experience, I think we see that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to be willing to know that we'll be cross-countercultural people. We'll be folks who take steps, which is how, what I mean by action. We'll take action steps that will be socially risky, that will get us in social trouble. And that's what Dr. Martin Luther King, who I still am very much inspired by to this day, showed us. There are times that the rules say coloreds only, and something in your spirit says that's not right. There are laws that are just not right. And there's the need for someone to say in Jesus' name, I respectfully refuse. And I know that that may cost me consequences. I know that might get me put out. It might get me put in jail. And none of us want that. I am right along with you. My knees knock. But I'm beginning to find out that one of the principles of reconciliation is that we take social steps, we take socially active places or positions that we know goes against this culture's norms because we follow the norms of the kingdom of God. We're no longer being conformed to this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that's why we're guided by the Bible. Amen. So, for those of us who really want to be kingdom people, the fifth principle of reconciliation is that we're going to have to take some countercultural social action and stand up for things that are right in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lights, that was a good amen. All right. That's just trying to give you a hint that anywhere in the back y'all want to say amen, that would help a sister out. Oh, thank you for the front section. God bless you. Anywhere over there, amen, would be real helpful. Principle number six. Principle number six, reconciliation requires, ready? Somebody say, ouch. Relinquishing power. Now, there are some people whose definition of racism is that it is prejudice with power. 
And I, I still wrestle with how I describe what I think racism is, but I have noticed that wherever people are one over other people, where there's a lack of reconciliation in any way, I notice that there's often a power dynamic that's inherent in those relationships. Jesus does something phenomenal in this text, and it seems so inconsequential at first glance. He asked the woman for a drink of water. He basically comes to that relationship, and he puts himself in her, in need of her. He puts himself in a position where he's not the helper. All of a sudden, in a small twist, he becomes the helpee, and she becomes the helper. Notice that Jesus comes to the relationship with all of the cultural, social, religious, political power on his side. He's a man. He's a Jew. He represents dominant culture. He's a rabbi. He comes with religious training. He's educationally more powerful than she is. And I'm telling you, if he wanted to wrestle the bucket from her, he could have taken it and overpowered her. But he doesn't come to her from a place of power. He doesn't even come to her from a place of spiritual power because we didn't even mention all the other stuff he has on his side. He's also the son of God. My God, he's got all kinds of supernatural stuff on his side. If he really was thirsty, he could have whipped up some water. He's the same God who turns water into wine. So he could have just done his thing or he could have wowed her with his spiritual insight and prophetic knowledge because so often many of us, when we approach people who don't know God, we approach them from a place that shows them that we really are in the know and we're trying to help them out so we'll say things like and I used to do this a lot and still would if I if I had the opportunity uh, have you heard of the four spiritual laws well we know they didn't that's why we're asking them but immediately we're the place the person who's put ourselves in a place of needing to be the one who has the ability to help and all of a sudden that poor lost soul is waiting for us to enlighten them about God there's nothing wrong with that, but it is a powerful place to be. Jesus is saying to us that if we want to be people of reconciliation, we're going to have to learn to let go of our power. And now the ouch comes in. Because if the truth be told, none of us want to do that. Jesus does something so weird here. He says to her, before I tell you that you've been married five times, before I tell you your address, before I show you that I'm prophetically gifted and that I can see things that you aren't telling me, before I begin to show you my spiritual power, all I really want you to know of me <clears throat> is that I need your help. And immediately, he puts her in a place where she becomes the helper, he becomes the helpy, and he levels the playing field between two people who had nothing in common. I'm telling you something, when it comes to reconciliation, people don't always want to be on the receiving end of our help. Amen. And so, last time I was here, I said that the number one question I'm asked is, how can we get more, <clears throat> excuse me, how can we get more people, whatever, I'm fine, to come to our group? And we, you know, we fill in the blank of who we're looking for. The second number uh, favorite question that I'm asked as I travel the country and preach about reconciliation is what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And at first glance, it's a sincere question and a humble question, but it predisposes that we have power that someone else needs, and we would like to be on the end of being the helper and not the helpee. And I think Jesus wants us to flip the script. I think Jesus is saying to us, who could help you? Where are you bankrupt? What are resources that other people have that you don't? I want you to know that there's some communities that could pray your socks off your feet. I'm telling you, they haven't been to college anywhere, but I declare if you need a prayer to come through, you would want them to lay their hands on you. Some of those people visit this church, but they're not empowered because they don't have come with all the right pedigree and all the stuff that we like to give respect to people because even choosing who we'll listen to is powerful. Amen. So we decide, well, I think I'll listen to Brenda, but I won't listen to Frank. Don't like the way he dresses. That's powerful. You're calling the shots. And we all love to be in the position where we call the shots. And Jesus is saying to us, like the rich young ruler, what I want you to do if you want to follow me is give it away. Give it away. 
put yourself in the place where you're not the top dog, that you don't make the rules, that you don't call the shots, and somebody else gets to tell you how to do it. Somebody else tells you when service is going to be over. Oh, if I dare. Because we all say, you have power, but you only have the power I give you. Jesus says, you become the helpy, let them become the helper, and you watch reconciliation start to take place. Told you it was an ouch. That's a hard one to do. And I'm mighty afraid, like the rich young ruler, more of us go away sorrowful than not. Because when we start thinking about the implications of that, something in us says, oh, we can't do that. That would mean they get to make decisions. They get to be in leadership. They get to decide and, and control things and manage money. Oh, come on now. We can't have that, Jesus. Trying to build a church here. And so I've come to the conclusion that principle number six is the fulcrum. And it is the reason why the church remains stuck and unable to move on this issue. Principle number seven is this. And it really is powerful that it comes after six because I don't believe we can do it without this next principle. Reconciliation requires authentic spirituality. The woman begins <clears throat> to say to Jesus all of the reasons why they shouldn't get together. You guys worship in Jerusalem. We worship on Mount Gerizim. We don't like the way you do it. You don't like the way we do it. We're culturally different. We're theologically different. We're socially different. We are worlds apart. Okay, Jesus? And so let's talk some theology here. Let's talk some of the reasons why we can't get along. Let's talk some of the theological, sociological reasons why we don't mix, Jesus. You guys don't even think the way we do. Our conceptual frameworks are different. We don't see God the way you see God. And Jesus says, you know what? I hear all that, but woman, let me tell you, a day is coming, better yet, has already come. When those things don't matter at all, the structures and the forms and the stuff that you get stuck on and the things that we argue about, they don't matter to God. What, fa what the Father is looking for is people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said the Father's on a mad search looking through the church for folks who will worship him and tell the truth. People who will worship God in spirit and in truth, who will let their defenses down long enough to enter into an intimate place with God. <clears throat> I'm telling you, I'm preaching from my soul to you today. I am telling you right this second what God would say to your church. Real worship is not about whether or not you raise your hands or kneel on your knees, whether you say amen or you don't. Real worship is an attitude. It's an openness of your spirit. It's an openness of your being before God. It's like they were in the garden when it says, and they were naked and unashamed. They were honest. They were open. They were vulnerable. And they were transparent. So many of us, when we come into the presence of God, we're not open. We're not vulnerable. We're worried about what our neighbor would think if we laid on our face before God. And so we have the impulse, but we think that it's socially inappropriate, so we don't. And the Father is seeking people who will say to their neighbor, excuse me, but I've got to kneel down right now in the presence of God. And it may not work in Minnesota, but for right now, it's working for me. So excuse me while I worship. Real worship takes vulnerability. Real, real worship takes an ability to take a risk. There are times that the Lord might say to me to, to turn in his presence or to wave my hand. And there are times that I won't do it because I think they don't do that over here, Jesus. And the Father is looking for folks who are authentic in their worship. I have traveled many, many places, and I've been pleased and privileged to travel to other countries. Every place that I've gone, Woodland Hills Church, let me tell you this, wherever there is a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-national gathering of people, there is a high emphasis and an ability to worship.
There is something that happens when we seek the face of the transcendent God in a way that is honest and vulnerable and, 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 and transparent. Something happens where the spirit of the living God literally comes in a place and he, by his presence, breaks down walls and he builds the bridges. What we're asking God to do is not humanly possible. Only God can do it and that's why we've got to be people who worship. We've got to be people who are authentically spiritual, who tell ourselves the truth and who tell God the truth, who worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to do it. I'm telling you, we're going to enter a time where the Lord is going to separate the men from the boys, the girls from the women. And it's going to have something to do with our ability to enter into the presence of God for real. Principle number eight. I see in this interaction that reconciliation requires reciprocity. Reciprocity. The woman says to Jesus, hey, what are you talking about? You got living water. Don't you know that uh, the well is deep? You don't have a bucket. And so Jesus has been shown clearly what he does not have. And Jesus is very aware that he's a Jew, that he's not supposed to be in her neighborhood, that it's inappropriate for him to be there. She doesn't want him there. She's gone at 12 o'clock noon because she doesn't want to see anybody, especially a Jew guy sitting at the well. So he, she says to him, one, don't you know we don't even associate with anybody, don't you want each other, why are you here? And then she says, and you're talking about living water, well let me remind you, you don't have anything to draw with, dude. And he doesn't fold up. He doesn't say, you know, you're right, I don't have nothing. I'm a part of the dominant culture, I'm a part of the oppression, I'm bad, we're wrong. Jesus says to her, yep, you're right. I don't have a bucket. You are absolutely right, and I'm not supposed to be here. True. However, if you knew who it was you were talking to, even though I'm a Jew, I could do something for you. I have this thing called living water, and I'd love to offer that to you. So yes, you do have a bucket, and I do need a drink, but I also have something to offer you reciprocity that each of us has something to bring to the party and that none of us should disqualify ourselves from being in relationships with people who aren't like us because every one of us need each other. We bring a different worldview. We bring a different understanding of scripture. There are things I see in the Bible that just pop out at me because of the way I think. And there are times that a person and I, Rick Richards and I, who wrote this book together, there would be times we'd be studying the book of Acts together and it's in our book and he'd say, no way and I'd say yeah it's right there and I'm telling you both of our lives are enriched because we took the time to let each other's perspectives be reciprocal and teaching each other how to understand God Rick is an Episcopal charismatic priest I like that boy and I'm telling you he can lift a prayer and, and priest me into things that, 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 that are, are, are life-changing for me and my family. I've come to appreciate the sacraments in a way that I never have understood before because of my relationship with Rick Richardson. I'm telling you, we wrote that book on our faces before God. It took four years to write it because we prayed our way through every single page. Hallelujah. Yes, we did. Because I believe that the Lord is wanting to give the church resources that are spiritual in nature. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And we were not going to be able to think our way out of this one. Or technologically work our way out of this one. This one's going to take the presence and the power of the living God. And that's why I commend that book to you. But I'm telling you, there are people who have changed my life. And because of the vulnerability and the honesty and the transparency, we've helped each other to become kingdom people. That's reciprocal. That's the law of reciprocity. Deep calls to deep. Vulnerability calls to vulnerability. Transparency calls to transparency. And I encourage you to understand that you've got something to bring to this. That yes, your perspective, as small as you may think it be, 
I don't know if there are people here from other nations, international folks in this congregation, but you bring something so vital to us that we were, we were impoverished. We are lost unless we hear how you understand it from your nationality. And I beg you to start speaking up. Principle number nine. Ah, principle number nine. Reconciliation requires bridge people, bridge builders, folks who link folks to other communities. The last verse I read to you was when the disciples came back to, uh, from out of in town, and they come back and they see Jesus sitting at the well speaking to a woman, and they start gawking. The Bible says they don't say a word, but I'm telling you, sometimes you don't have to say a thing. That's why I'm so very conscious of body language, because you can say more sometimes with your physical presence than you do with your words. Amen. That's why a little smile every now and then would just help the preacher. It would. It would help the preacher. Yes, it would. It would help. Wouldn't it help you, Greg? Just every now and then, just a little hand wave, a little smile helps us out. Because what you don't say sometimes is showing on your faces. And so when she looks over at the disciples and she sees them going, they don't have to say, what are you doing talking to her? Their faces say, we're already in trouble, Jesus. We just got put out of Judea. Dude, come on now. Could you back off this one time? So she can tell the party's over. The dynamic is about to change. Right now, his friends have come, and because of their social uh, sensibilities, they're not going to like this conversation. It's done. So she leaves her water jar, but she goes back to her community, and she does something really powerful. She goes back to her community, and she says to them, I think you should come check this guy out. There's a man that I just met with, and he told me everything I've ever done. I'm telling you, I've experienced his ministry for myself, and I think he may be the one. I think he might be authentic. He might be the real deal. I think you should give him a chance to talk to you. You might want to hear him out. Could he be the Christ? I think so. She bridges Jesus, Jesus to a community who would have otherwise written him off. And each of us get to be the same kind of people because there are folks who would listen to you who would never listen to me. There are folks that, that, that you get to talk to, who you get to influence, who I have no influence over. There are places that you get invited to speak that I'd never get invited to speak. There are situations that you get to sit around a table and you get to say to other folks, I think you should listen to what he has to say. If I were you, I, 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 would, I would invite this person to come to our company. If I were you, I'd come to this church. If I were you, I'd, I'd give this person a chance because I have experienced them for myself. And I know this man to be a good man. I know this man to be used of God. I tell you, I don't know what you've heard, but I can tell you what I've experienced. And I believe that he's who he says he is. I saw a movie some time ago called Do the Right Thing. And in this clip uh, of the movie, there's a guy who owns a pizzeria. He has two sons. And this pizzeria is in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, New York. This man can't move because the real estate has changed. The community has changed around him. What used to be an Italian neighborhood has become an all-black neighborhood. And he hates being there, but he doesn't have the financial resources to move. So he guts it out every day. And he brings his two sons with him to work. One son absolutely low the experience. He hates it every single day and is very verbal about how much he doesn't want to be there. The other son, I think his name is Vinny, he's decided to make the best out of the situation, so he starts making friends in the neighborhood. He especially befriends the one guy who works at the pizzeria who lives in the neighborhood. His name is Mookie. Now, Mookie's black, you can tell, right? Mookie's black, and, and Mookie is played by Spike Lee. Vinny and Mookie strike up a friendship, and they laugh, and they joke, and Vinny learns to say things like they say it in the hood and they're having this great relationship one day Mookie and Vinny are walking on the street to deliver a pizza and three guys are walking toward them black guys who look angry who look frustrated probably have every right to be so but when they get up to Mookie and Vinny one guy takes his frustration out on the on 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 on, on Vinny and he shoves him in the chest and he says yo man what you doing on our neighbor in our neighborhood get off our sidewalk we don't want you here and then Mookie steps in and says, hey, now the guy doing the pushing, his name is Buggin' Out. You don't want to mess with folk like Buggin' Out. If you get a nickname called Buggin' Out, you're a bad dude. 
Mookie steps up to Bugging Out and he says, yo, man, don't mess with him. He's down. Bugging Out doesn't pay him any attention and he shoves him again. He says, yo, man, I'm telling you, get out of our neighborhood. We don't want you here. What are you doing on our sidewalk anyway? Once again, Mookie steps up to him and he says, Bugging Out, man, I'm telling you, don't mess with him. He's down. Translation, I can vouch for him. Now, other white people may have heard us, but not this guy. Don't take out your hurt on him because I vouch for him. I can speak to his authenticity. I can speak to his sincerity. Now, his brother, I can't speak for him. But this one, don't mess with him because he's down. And I pray that God would cause this bridge church to raise up bridge builders, people who come from this congregation who link Folks who would never, ever, ever get invited to your context, who link them to it by saying, I think you ought to hear her. I think you ought to hear him. I think you ought to let this person come work with our children. I experienced this person for myself, and I want you to know he's down. If you'll stand to your feet, I want to pray for you. So all over the building, if you'd stand to your feet, it's 1015, and so I got to quit, and I'm going to do right because I've learned how Thanks, Billy. Let me close with this scripture, and I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'll let you go. In Revelations chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Yeah, go right ahead. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And the trees on either side of that river had leaves. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Jesus said to that woman, and he says to us, out of your belly, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I want you to know, we may not see the kingdom's full expression here on earth, but I want you to know that in the kingdom of God, your little river and my little river and Greg's little river and somebody else's river and somebody else's river will all culminate in the great river that flows down the center of the city of God. And the leaves that will be produced on the trees that come from the river of life that froze from us will cause the healing of nations. My brother, come join me as we say goodbye to this congregation for first service. I don't call Greg my brother kidding around. We really are brothers and sisters. I'll go down for this guy because he's down. I vouch for his authenticity. I vouch for his sincerity. I've experienced his ministry. I know his heart. And he loves God, and he loves God's people, and he loves the church. And so, my brothers and sisters, I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I bless you to be the bridge people that you are, the folks who cause healing to come to many nations, who bridge people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Go forth in Jesus' mighty name as an army of reconciliation people who bridge worlds, who tear down walls, and who cause the kingdom to manifest in this place. In the name of Jesus and to the glory of God and all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Build a bridge. Tear down a wall. Let the kingdom come. Amen. Amen. I'm going to go sign books. God bless you.